Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Jane Irrigation Training Series. I'm your host, Richard Restucia, and today we're going to be talking about uh, designing tape, tubing, and emitter line, and really how do you maximize the efficiency of your irrigation using these three products. And I got to be honest with everybody here today, uh, sometimes I get confused and it's uh, sometimes hard for me to decide which product I should be using on a particular job. Uh, so uh, great news today is that we've got Corey Broad, uh, who is a territory sales manager and product manager for Jane Irrigation, uh, who's going to step us through a process that will make your decision making a whole lot easier and uh, and accurate. And accurate is the uh, the really important part here. Uh, and for those of you who've seen Corey, you know what a great um, <clears throat> resource he is for all of us in the irrigation world. Uh, Corey is a certified crop advisor. He's a certified irrigation de uh, designer. He is a certified irrigation specialist, ag irrigation specialist, and, uh, and so much more. Uh, he's really a go-to resource for a lot of Central Valley growers uh, these days. Uh, and also um, does a really good job of promoting uh, sustainability and irrigation efficiency on social media. So I love it when we've got somebody like Corey who's uh, promoting this um, uh, a lot and, uh, and all over the place. So Corey, thanks, thanks for joining us today. No, thank you, Richard. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And, and it's funny that you, know, you and I talk about concepts of things that we wanna, wanna you know, work on in the industry. What do we wanna promote? And then also what are our customers asking? Uh, whether it's a distributor or an end user, and uh, trying to find you know topics that are really relevant, and it's funny in that we've you know created this presentation, uh, talking about it together, and then literally yesterday I have an example of a phone call that I got from a distributor who had some questions, and I was actually able to basically kind of walk them through some of the things that we're going to walk through today. And so it's just super pertinent that these things do come up uh, pretty frequently. And so it was just funny that we kind of spoke it into existence and, and that it literally happened yesterday afternoon. So um, again, happy to be here. As, as Richard you know, mentioned, uh, there's a big catalog. We've done a lot of these now. I don't know if you have the, the direct number off the top of your head, but I think this might be my 14th or 15th, and I'm sure we've done 200, maybe 300 now. Um, and so it's an impressive catalog. There's the QR code that's up there. I, I reuse this slide quite a bit, um, but also just a link to the trainings. If, if anybody's interested, uh, it is available in podcast and in other formats as well. Yeah, so Corey, uh, thank you for mentioning the, uh, the the trainings, right? We've had over a couple hundred thousand people um, either attend or watch online. Now, it might be the same people over and over again, because I I think there's probably not a couple hundred thousand people in, in irrigation, but um, but nevertheless, they, they are uh, popular thanks to the good work that you do and uh, the education that you, uh, you and others deliver. So, um, Corey, am I the only person who gets a little confused about when to use uh, what tape, right? I mean, because there's there's different varieties, a mitter line. Uh, uh, what's this like for people? It's, um, I think the best way to kind of break it down is you know, we have such a comprehensive solution just at our company uh, itself. And obviously, there's going to be competitors out there, too. But we have heavy wall tubing. We have a mitter line. We have all these drip tape options. And then we're trying to fit this all into different crops or plants, uh, the applications, the challenges that, that are surrounded in irrigated ag and landscape. 
And it's great to have all these choices, but the, the best way I can say, Richard, is it's just like sending somebody who's never been to the grocery store before to find this very specific one thing. We're overwhelmed by choices. You go and you can have, you know, five different uh, flavors of the same thing. And it's like, man, that's, there's just, it's almost information overload. And so uh, you think about it, um, we're fortunate that we have a, a lot of technical expertise in our building and in our company and a lot of uh, talented people that we work alongside, but somebody who maybe hasn't done this before, hasn't purchased these products or worked with them, it can be a little bit overwhelming just to look at our catalog alone and say, how do I make my way through this? And again, that's you know part of what I hope to share today and, and what I'll continue to, to talk about is um, it, the people, right? The products are one thing, but having the uh, educated and certified people behind it, I think really, you know, sets it, sets it apart. And when I talk about designers and what their tasks are, especially from the agriculture side, I really ask to balance kind of agronomics, you know, plant health uh, and economics, both on what is the return of that uh, investment from uh, purchasing a product and growing that crop, but uh, what's the cost of it too on the, on the front end. And I really think that value is kind of maximized and, and uh, full efficiency to where uh, you're looking at the efficiency of the product and the investment, and it's exceeding the budget of what you put in. Because again, in farming, we're, we're trying to make money and it can be really, really challenging out there. So um, it's not always just about making money today too. It's about looking at, uh, especially, you know, we talked about almonds on the way in, that, that's a 20 to 25 year investment. Um, we have to make sure that, that we understand the full scope of ownership in that process. Yeah, great points, Corey. And then, um, you know, for for all the growers out there, right, they have to figure out what tape goes with what they're growing, what, what they are growing. So that's one issue. And then there's variations in tape. Uh, and, and so it's two variables here, I think, that uh, make it a little bit more difficult. And then there's an exponent and then another variable and then a fraction and, and it, it gets, it gets really complicated, but now you are, you're certainly spot on and, and not the only one. And um, so, I mean, kind of to what I was just saying, I mean, this is just a screenshot I pulled from the catalog. This is just our heavy wall tubing section uh, in our catalog. And again, I talked about having this robust comprehensive line of, of uh, irrigation tubing uh, or what we would call supply tubing. Um, there's a lot of different things to unpack here. And again, it could be overwhelming if you're not sure what you're looking at, or again, what you, what might be the best fit for what you're trying to do. And so there, we don't need to focus too much on the details of it, but I just kind of wanted just to, again, kind of, uh, slap it out there that, Hey, this is, uh, you know, what we have to face every day. And so you have a lot of different, uh, choices here, obviously in agriculture, we kind of have most of what we, what we do down to really three common sizes, which is nominally referred to as a half inch, five eighths and three quarters. Um, but if you're on the technical side of it, it's you know, 620 by 710, 720 by 820 and uh, 830 by 940. Um, there's obviously gonna be smaller versions and larger versions uh, outside of those specs, but it really kind of comes down to, for an example, if you're using a pressure compensating emission device, say a, a click tip button dripper, you might be able to use smaller supply tubing, smaller lateral tubing, uh, in order to save money, because that device is putting out the same amount of water across a wide pressure range. And we'll talk about that more here in a moment. Um, if you're using a non-regulated device, say like a Jane Jet, um, which does also come in pressure compensating, but if you're just using the uh, simplest version of that product, um, pressure loss will likely affect the emitter flow performance. So less pressure means less flow. 
And so um, with really long runs on short tubing, you may actually see a, a massive degradation in the uniformity of that product. And you've still invested money, even though it was less, um, and, and really not be able to uh, capitalize on the return of that, that uh, investment that was made. That's a great point, Corey. And the one thing I always think about is uh, if I didn't know that, or if I didn't watch you today and learn that, how would I know that? Partner with, with uh, you know, certified people. I think the Irrigation Association does a great job. Obviously, I'm a little biased being involved in, in the Irrigation Association and actually being on the certification board now. Um, but there's, you know, tons of uh, licensed certified professionals that you can find on the website say, wow, this might be somebody that I want to partner with. Um, and again, that, that Rolodex, if you will, is publicly available. I would just seek out uh, people with experience and people with certification. Yeah. And this really is, uh, a lot of this is engineering, right? This is uh, using formulas uh, and, and getting it right. And uh, so, so having that background is really key. Absolutely. And so just to, to kind of break down what we were just talking about, just graphically, um, I've, I've taken this from a, a number of uh, presentations in the past. And what, what really we're illustrating here is kind of uniformity versus pressure. So if you had a, a non-regulated device, so again, say a Jane Jet or even a non-regulated dripper, which is available, um, you see on the left-hand side kind of that, the pipe segment, and then it feeds down the road to the right-hand side. And essentially in, in this example, all the way down the lateral, it's basically 16 pounds of pressure. Therefore, you have that nice uniform kind of uh, blue box of water, if you will. And every plant is well watered and it's pretty easy to manage and we know how deep it's going to go, uh, so on and so forth. Everything's good. Now, in an example where you had what we would define as excessive pressure loss, so you started with 16 and instead of ending with 16, you're now ending with you know, 6.5, so you can say roughly 10 pounds of, of pressure loss. You see that the front plants are pretty well irrigated to about a third of the way. Then those other plants in the middle are kind of like, oh, I'm not you know, totally happy. And then probably the last few plants are, are uh, not looking too hot, right? And, and it doesn't matter if it's a rose bush or if it's an almond tree, uh, they're not getting what they need. Um, especially you start thinking about from the ag side where we do fertigation, they're not getting the nutrients they need. Um, it's, a, it's an exponential compounding effect. Um, that's just an illustration of what happens where you have too much uh, pressure loss in a line. And now that could be because we use too small of a tubing in order to meet the flow demand, or it could be that we just ran the tubing too far and didn't um, have manageable run lengths. And again, the example that I got handed yesterday was, hey, I need your expertise. I have a question. And I said, okay. And they said, I have a grower that has uh, eight gallon an hour sprinklers and they're spaced at, you know, I don't remember off the top of my head, but just say, you know, 15 feet apart. And they want to know how far they can run that. And mm. I said, well, it depends. And they go, what do you mean? And I said, well, we can run it farther if we use larger tubing because there's, you know, more area, there's less friction loss inside of it. I said, so that's one option, which to a certain extent, there's a terminal end. And then I said, um, the other option could be that, you know, we could run um, less sprinklers or try and change the flow rate of the sprinkler in order to lower the amount. Um, so you just work through these things with them. And what we ended up doing and deciding at the end was, is the proposed run length that they wanted, they needed to cut it in half because they told me, I want to use one inch tubing. Yeah. And I said, why is that? And they go, because they already have that in a field next to it. And I said, okay. 
example, then now I've been defined on what product we want to use. So that big list that we looked at earlier kind of got shrunk down to one SKU. This is the product we want to use. Okay, well, now we're bound by that. So in order to not have a graphical representation in your field like we have up here on the screen, I need you to run it essentially half the distance that you thought you were going to be able to. But that just comes through, again, knowing those formulas, uh, using our resources, which I'll go into some of those later on, and, and having that experience and saying, hey, this is the correct way to do it. And here's the result that you're going to get. Yes. So a comment and a question. First comment is... Um... Gee, this illustration, I've never seen something that looked like this, right? The Usually the distribution uni uniformity is a little different, but boy, this really gets the point across that if you don't have uh, pressure compensating emitters, uh, you're going to have a problem. You can. Uh, it just means you have to design the system that much more efficiently. And, and we'll, we'll go into some of those uh, kind of nuances here in a moment with the, the numbers of it. Um, but I can tell you that there are orchards that if you look at uh, the sunset behind it, and, and you're able to get in an elevated position, the trees grow like this. In the center of it, they're all big and healthy. And at the end, it goes down. And it's because the system maybe hasn't been maintained or wasn't designed properly. And therefore, the end has less pressure. And the trees are just 10% smaller. Yeah. And so then the question, um, does Jane have a tool that helps people understand this? There is our length of run calculator. Um, I will kind of break out a couple examples on that and have a link to it. Um, also in like, for instance, for our supply tubing in our catalog, we actually have uh, all of those different sizes that I talked about earlier and then um, different flow curves. So at one gallon a minute, at 100 foot, so on and so forth that you can go through and you can say, oh, you know, I have an idea that I'm going to run this 300 feet. And then Richard could be at home, he could look at it and he could go, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Um, or, oh no, that looks like it works just fine. Um, so there, there are tons of resources there. Um, so the supply tubing catalog has a lot of graphical information in there and tables. And then our length of run calculator we'll look at here in a bit um, is also great for, uh, two, uh, excuse me, tape and emitter line. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you, Corey. And I just wanna remind everybody that I do have the chat. And the Q&A opens, so if you've got a comment or a question, put them in there, and I'll get them to Corey as soon as I can. And I forgot one, one kind of final note on this. So if you wanted to make the last plants in, uh, in the row very happy, so in order to get that adequate amount of water, which is kind of where that dashed line is, you end up having to over-irrigate you know, seven-eighths of the field in order to keep the last eighth of the field happy. That's kind of the rule of, of distribution uniformity. And so that, again, is just a, a gross example of, well, now I have to over-irrigate. Well, then that might throw off the nutrient balance on the front end of the orchard. And so there's just all of these things that go into play. So um, let's try and get to the first example where everything's really even and really nice. And again, work with the right products out of the gate. So uh, getting into a real life example, things that I see out in the field. Um, this is a flow chart from one of our JaneJet um, catalogs. And so I, I chose a, a number 35 orange nozzle, uh, pretty standard spec that we see even in almonds, but also in citrus. And uh, in this case, I chose citrus. It's a 20 foot row spacing with an 18 foot tree spacing. And our lateral run is going to be 330 foot long. So from the riser to the terminal end of the, the hose will be 330 feet, which is pretty standard for us commercially here. If I say that I have a nominal spec of 20 PSI at the riser, and I go and I run that 330 feet with one jet 
at eight gallons an hour or 8.4 in this case, every 18 feet, so one per tree. Again, very standard to what we do. If I use a 720 by 820 tubing, so a 0 0.720 inches inside diameter, I'll lose about 1.7 PSI down that run. If I go down to the next size smaller, which for Jane's offering is a 620 inside diameter, so I just shrunk it a little bit more, I'm gonna essentially double that. It's 3.6 PSI of loss. Both of those are probably acceptable, but let's work through the, the scenario together. Just on a numerical basis in the 720 tubing, we're gonna lose about 8.5% of our nominal spec PSI. We lost 8.5% of 20 PSI in that run. It's 18% when you use 620 tubing. So, okay, that number jumps out and you're going, okay, well, what does that mean to me? Remember that flow and pressure are directly correlated in non-compensating emission devices. And so a loss in pressure results in a loss in flow. So to break down this example kind of in a, in a more gross manner, if you see the, the red circle there, I have it on 20 PSI at 8.4 gallons an hour. If I go down to 15 PSI, it's 7.3 gallons an hour. That's a 25% loss in PSI is a 13% loss in flow, which is a degradation in uniformity. The trees at the end of this row, if I lose five pounds of pressure, will receive 13% less water. Yeah. Wow. That's a significant amount, especially if you think about it in percentages too. Of uh, this, this could make a drastic difference in how your plants look or your trees look. Because at first we look at it, right? And we go, well, it's five PSI. Okay. Well, that's 13%, right? On your flow uh, curve. And then you go, well, how many inches of water do I pump a year? And you start adding up that amount and you go, wow, okay, that's a big difference. And then you think about how much nitrogen you might apply um, in, in other products, calcium, and all of a sudden go, oh, wow, that directly hits my bottom line. And this is how it impacts me uh, economically. So that's where I, again, tie in the agronomics and the economics. They're generally uh, pretty closely related. Yeah, and then the other interesting point I think about this is that uh, maybe it takes you a little extra time at the beginning to figure this out or an extra phone call to you to figure it out, but it impacts every irrigation for the season. Absolutely. And the next one <laughs> and the next season. And, you know, it's because, I mean, we're talking about tubing that, you know, we want to see last 15 to 20 years. Yeah. But we're talking yeah. about a crop that we want to see last 20 to 40 years, depending on what you're planting. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a little bit of detail up front can go a long ways. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm, or I'm definitely making that phone call to you. Exactly. So um, kind of, you know, trying to draw some similarities and just kind of showing a pressure compensating difference. So this is a 2002 uh, micro sprinkler from Jane Irrigation. And I chose a flow that was somewhat close. This is 9.3 gallons an hour. So it's technically a little bit more. Um, but let's just use that same scenario just to kind of show the difference there. Um, you know, these sprinklers run at a tad bit more pressure, but um, the 9.3 gallon an hour spec is at 25 PSI. So if we use the 720 tubing, we lose two pounds of pressure. And if we use the 620 tubing, we're going to, again, about double that to 4.3 uh, PSI. So using a larger tubing, it's 8 PSI of our nominal hose spec at 25. If we go to 620 tubing, save a little bit of money, that's 17% of our PSI in the hose run. Now, remember that pressure and flow are directly correlated, but PC eliminates or reduces the PSI to flow ratio. And so in this example, a 20% loss in PSI 
going from 25 to 20 results in a 2% loss in flow, which in my mind is negligible. There's more errors in irrigation scheduling and maintenance and all the other uh, inefficiencies in working in uh, outdoor large-scale agriculture that the 2% is really kind of minute um, because the flow rate only changes from 9.3 gallons an hour to 9.1. That is the power of using a pressure compensating low exponent emitter device. Okay, so yeah, you caught, you said PC earlier, but that is that is the difference here. It's the pressure compensation. Absolutely. So we can still lose five pounds and two percent loss in flow versus thirteen. Yeah. yeah. So again, think of that in percentages too, and it's uh, it's significant, huge. Absolutely. So we've kind of covered supply tubing, right? Again, this is this is tubing that doesn't have any emission device built into it. It's uh, so that we can connect it to emission devices like those sprinklers we talked about. Uh, maybe put our uh, barbed adapters or put a button dripper like our click tip on there. It is supplying water to an emission device. When we talk about emitter line, because people will talk about drip tubing also, is probably what people are mostly referring to. But the, the technical term for emitter line comes from it is supply tubing with an emitter built into it. It has an emitter welded inside of it. And for us at Jane, that's Amnon or Top Drip. And those are both pressure compensating emitters. And what's really neat about this also is that it comes in a wide range of sizes. So mm -hmm. we tend to talk about it in millimeters, kind of in general terms. So 16 all the way up to 22. But also it's important to know the inside diameter and the outside diameter of those. And one thing that's really unique to Jane is um, you take, for instance, the six, uh, 17 millimeter option, excuse me, with the 570 inside diameter. We actually developed a fitting because we sell fittings into the market and are one of the leaders in that space that we have a coupler specially designed for that size hose. Very few other people can say that they have that specific size, but also the fittings to go along with it. And so I think that's a, a, an important differentiator that we have all of these options and we have all the fittings and accessories to fit those options because I could come up with a really good idea, but if I have no way to put it all together, it really won't matter. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Corey. Because again, um, you shouldn't have to uh, know. Okay, I've got this this emitter line. So, what size uh, coupling do I use with that, or what power lock? Um, you'll want to cover many. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, I, again, we have all the the fittings and accessories to fit that. And so, that's again value added because kind of the one stop shop approach. Um, but what's really important about each of these size emitter lines is, you know, there's more common ones, which would be 18 and 20. But I mean, I saw, I've sold plenty of 22 millimeter and I've sold plenty all the way down um, to where we can really fit what is the designer trying to achieve? What's going to be the most uh, economical uh, value and, and what brings the most agronomic value by picking the right one? Um, and you can size this irrigation system and really change it just based on changing the size of the emitter line. And so, um, again, we're one of the few people in the marketplace that can do this. So that's why I always encourage people to, to look at these products and kind of have this in the back pocket of designers because it allows them a lot of flexibility where they're not uh, kind of handcuffed to maybe one or two sizes. And then, well, I'm sorry, I have to add another line kind of kind of scenario. Yeah, so I'm getting it. I'm starting to appreciate choice. <laughs> exactly, guided choice. <laughs> um, so kind of going down again with, with Amnon and Top Trip, 
Um, they're PC, so really designers can limit capital costs without sacrificing that agronomic benefit. So hopefully, you know, you're still getting that same output of water that we talked about because um, it's kind of eliminating, reducing uh, the effects of pressure loss to a certain extent. Um, but again, maybe I can lay out a field differently that becomes more user-friendly or can limit cost up front for the grower. Um, those longer hose runs can be achieved using those larger diameter tubings that we talked about. And then that allows you to run more tubing, which it was going to exist anyways, the lateral length. But now maybe I'm cutting out trenching and PVC manifolds and riser connections and fittings and installation time um, because it's kind of a net even on installing the tubing anyways, because it had to be out there. So these are just kind of the things that, that irrigation companies get the opportunity to look at. And then hopefully that can trickle down to the grower as a more cost-effective system. Um, and then hopefully something that you know has a quicker ROI. Um, it is important to note, and we'll go into this, larger diameter hoses still require proper design though to make sure that you have minimum operating PSI at the end of the laterals. Just because you made a, a choice to go, oh, I'm just gonna go really, really big and I shouldn't have a problem there still needs to be some of those formulas that you referenced earlier. Yeah, so Corey, we have our first question coming in from a viewer and I think it's a good one. And it's a uh, it's one I've heard before. Um, and the question is about this. Uh, sometimes my local supplier has your fittings, but not your tubing or vice versa. Uh, what, do, what do I do about this? Uh, well, first we would hope that you could request Jane <laughs> uh, with whoever's there. I think as a sales guy, that would be that would be my favorite thing. Um, but obviously, you know, it's, it's important to, to ask them um, their expertise and, and how those things are going to go together. Um, I think that obviously we have our full suite of catalogs and they have every, all of our technical information is publicly available. So hopefully you can make, you know, an informed decision on your own if maybe uh, the distributor or dealer doesn't uh, have that information readily available. I would say that most of them do. Um, the Great thing about power lock fittings is, again, we have that wide range that I talked about, but it's very agnostic. You can buy a power lock coupler and you can use it on our product and you can use it on our competitor's product. Obviously, we hope that those two go together, um, but just because you, you maybe have one of our competitor's products doesn't mean that you can't use ours. It's agnostic. Is the inverse true to the other competitor products work on ours or is that unique to power locks? Um, I would say that our tolerances are a pretty wide range. Most of our competitors have kind of followed suit in that, in that pursuit. Um, but I would say that as a, a fitting, really a fitting company first, as, as kind of we uh, came to be as a company, we've really done a good job of finding the right fits for what our growers using, what our contractors using, what are dealers using? Okay, what product can we make that'll cover uh, as many as possible, because I don't want you to only have a coupler that can only be used with one specific size. I need to give you a little bit of flexibility in there, um, but most of it is pretty agnostic. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, have you ever heard of a dealer that if you said, hey, I want to order the Jane tubing, uh, and they say, we don't have it in stock, and we, well, can you order it for me? They'll do it, right? They they will. I mean, I think that if they're an authorized dealer for Jane products, um, we I talked about the people, right? I'm just one person in a, in a very large team. And, you know, the people that, that you and I get to work with every day, Richard, are, are super talented, super passionate about what they do. And um, I know that any dealer that, you know, wants to interact with us, any distributor that wants to interact with us is going to have a positive experience. And so I'm, I'm very confident in saying that, yeah, if, if they are an authorized distributor of our product, we would love to talk to them. 
Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I talked about making sure that it still has pressure at the end of the line. Uh, this is an example where uh, somebody said, hey, we're having issues with the product out in the field. I'm like, what's going on? They said, there's no water coming out. And I said, well, that's unfortunate because that's what we uh, would hope that it would do. So I went out there and I said, hey, do you have a pressure gauge? And they said, yeah. And I said, why don't you put it on the end of the hose? And that's the pressure that we had at the end of the line. So therefore, there is you know, no flow. Um, so we talked about those longer lateral runs. Uh, but to a certain extent, you can only go so far physically without having some you know, ridiculous pressure requirement. And so um, those longer lateral runs are great, but you're probably going to have an increased uh, pressure demand also. If that pressure requirement is uh, raised to operate the system uh, regularly, so say we needed to add another 10 pounds of pressure to this irrigation system, that just makes the operating cost that much more expensive. It makes your vehicle less fuel efficient, mm -hmm. right? I'm having to use more energy uh, which in most of our cases, electricity in order to achieve this kind of desired effect. And so upfront, it might be cheaper, but if I give you a 20 year cost of ownership and I say, Richard, um, this is $10,000 cheaper, but in 20 years, it's going to cost you $20,000 more time value of money. You can work that one out pretty quick and your decision might change. Um, a rule of thumb is again, one PSI is about $2 per acre per year. So if you have a 40 acre irrigation system and uh, you want to raise that extra 10, um, 10 PSI that I just talked about, and then think about owning it for 20 years, you go, wow, I, I think I, I need to make an investment on a more efficient system. So we can push things to the envelope, but let's also make sure that we keep our eye on the prize of what's that cost of ownership. Uh, what size should that main line be? And then in this case, what size maybe could that, that uh, tubing uh, or emitter line be? And yeah. uh, don't, don't trip over, you know, uh, dollars for pennies, right? You can save some money up front. It gives you flexibility, but also don't get caught on the wrong side of that curve. Now, I, I love this one PSI equals $2 uh, per acre per year. I uh, hadn't seen that before. That's uh, really helpful. So, uh, Corey, we've got another question coming in about pressure compensation. And um, if I'm running my drip lines through valleys or, you know, not completely flat terrain, does it still work? Yes and no. <laughs> it, it depends is my favorite answer. Um, I would say that it will work as long as it meets the minimum operating pressure. Um, so that's generally what we run into is when you come back up the hill, if it's losing too much pressure due to elevation, uh, you could fall outside the curve. So you take like Amnon, for example, that has an operating range of seven to 60 PSI. I think top trip is like six to 58. They're very similar, um, but that's a very wide range of pressures. So if the system is normally running at 30 and you lose uh, a few pounds of pressure going uphill, it's not a big deal. And then maybe you gain a few going back downhill. You're still kind of in there. That's really important for the designers to be able to spec and lay out the system so that, you know, these, um, factors of elevation don't get in the way. Um, but yeah, as long as you're within uh, those two, those two uh, numbers on the high and the low, you're going to be just fine. One thing I will say that's also important to consider is, yeah, the emitters are working fine while the irrigation system is on. But if you have a valley and then you have these low spots and you turn the irrigation system off, all the water that's been at the top is going to drain down to the bottom. And we see this a lot in the vineyard market in the coastal areas of California, where they would like to have what we call CNL technology, check non-leak or close non-leak, which effectively that emitter shuts at 3.5 PSI 
it doesn't allow the water to drain out. So there'll be a little bit of drain down that goes on when you first turn it off. But instead of 100% of that line draining into the low area, it might only be 10% of it. And um, it's a, a unique characteristic. It's something that really us and only a few other people have commercially available. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, yeah, you just solved a lot of problems for people. <laughs> but, so. Uh, so yeah, so the, but the big variability in this is uh, how steep the hills are. Absolutely. And that's, again, that's where I go to that experience and that certified individual to be able to look at it and say, okay, this is how far I can run this, but also here's the challenges that I'm going to uh, uh, come to. Fortunately, Fresno is pretty flat, so it makes things pretty easy around here, but that's not the case in many areas that are irrigated. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned the vineyards. I mean, what comes exactly. to mind right away. Exactly. So um, I talked about resources earlier and length of run calculator. I have the link up here. It's pretty easy to find on our website under resources. It's a free online resource. Anybody can use it. And it's really good for a meter line uh, and tape lateral sizing. So in this particular instance, um, I just kind of showing, I, I chose an emitter line in this example. I, all I did was enter 20 pounds of pressure uh, at the inlet side and then clicked calculate. And there's a few other things you could include if you wanted to, but uh, essentially here you can see I start with 20 and then you can see my ending pressure and it's calculated in hundred foot segments. So there's basically no pressure loss in hundred feet. There's, um, you know, 200 feet less than a pound. You could see the curve starts to change though, because you go from 19 to 18 to 16, so on and so forth. This is your ending pressure. So in this case, you might have, you know, just about four pounds of loss. This one all of a sudden becomes uh, significantly more and it's kind of a hockey stick curve. Um, so you can kind of sit there and go, uh, you know, at, at your property, Hey, I wanted to run this 500 feet. Oh, okay. Four pounds of pressure. I know I could supply 20 pounds and we're good. Um, if you said, I want to run at 800 pounds or excuse me, 800 feet. Well, now all of a sudden I talked about that, that, uh, minimum operating pressure. I'm outside the curve. Now I'm at five PSI at the end of that line. Okay. Well, I have two options. I either pick a bigger line diameter. I shorten the run length or I increase the pressure on the front side. And again, this is what the balance of what designers get to do every day is decide, okay, well, what's the best case? Well, cost of ownership, it's probably not raising the pressure because I got to put in a bigger pump and do all these other things. If I say, hey, Richard, this is going to be a little bit more upfront because I'm going to use a larger tubing but you, your cost of ownership is lower. It's my job as, again, a certified individual to have that conversation with you and say, hey, these are the things that, that we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah, so you do have three options, but really the, in, most, in a lot of cases, the least expensive option is going to be to increase the size of your tubing. Right, because I, again, it may be upfront more expensive, but in the long run, you're going to go, wow, that was, that was a much better choice. Right. And Corey, what a lot of people think they're saving money, right? By downsizing their tubing. What do, what do you have to say to them? You can, you certainly can. I think it, it it's also situational um, that you have to sit there and you have to work with somebody as a trusted advisor to say, you know, the difference between one size of tubing to the next might be just say $15 a roll. Well, if I have a double line drip system in almonds, that's about four rolls per acre, $15 per roll difference, $60 an acre. Well, when you have $10,000 an acre and you know removing vines and replanting trees and putting in an irrigation system and doing all this stuff, 
60 bucks doesn't seem like much, but you've just spent a lot also. So you're a little sensitive maybe. And, and you sit there and go, okay, well, I, I don't really know if I need that. But then I sit there and I say, Richard, you you need to have um, more piping if we go with smaller tubing. I can't only, I can't cross the field once, I have to cross it twice. Hmm. And you go, okay. And I said, well, that's twice as much trenching for me. And it's twice as many risers. And then also when you go to flush it, there's twice as many hose ends. Um, and so again, it's about working through that balance with somebody that has that experience to say, um, here's the pros and cons to each of these decisions. And my job is to maximize the value for you as a, as a grower. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That, that, that really helps, right? Stepping through that thought process. Thank you. Absolutely. So uh, kind of getting into the drip tape portion and, and what I would say is perhaps the most sensitive product to size. Uh, you know, Jane still offers a really comprehensive line of drip tape sizes, emitter styles and tube builds. Again, we have our Chapin, our Cascade, and our Turbo Tape kind of models, if you will. Those are, are, are kind of our, our three distinct lines, and they're all super unique in their flow path and emitter styles. Uh, Chapin and Turbo Tape are going to kind of continuous flow path, um, everything from you know ultra low flow up to, to really high flow products. And they're really available in that traditional 5 eighths and 7 eighths sizes, where Cascade still has five eighths and seven eighths, but also has one inch, inch and an eighth, and inch and three eighths because it has a discrete emitter welded inside of it. Kind of almost similar to Amnon and uh, Top Drip earlier. Uh, it's what we would almost identify as a thin wall emitter line. But as we talked about earlier, um, because it's used in corn and cotton and tomatoes and all these things, it kind of gets lumped in with drip tape because of the commodities or the uh, agricultural goods that it serves. So if I'm, uh, if I'm getting this right today, if I'm thinking about really long runs, I'll probably be thinking Cascade. Generally, yes. Because again, I have the option of changing the flow of the emitter, moving the spacing of the emitter, or changing the size of the tubing. Yeah. And so it, it Cascade predominantly gets sold in the Midwest uh, portion of the country where they do half mile runs yeah. um, because of the way that their infrastructure and layout is, where here we're doing a lot of quarter mile runs that we'll use a lot of seven eighths tape. So just, just depends on, on kind of what the, the fit of the land is. Um, I talk about it being the most sensitive to size due to longer lateral runs. So where most of our orchards are 330 to 660 foot supply tubing and emitter line runs, most of our drip tape applications here, especially in the Central Valley, are a quarter mile or roughly 1300 feet. So I'll double. And uh, most drip tape flow rates are specified at 10 PSI of operating pressure with a midter line running generally around 15 to 20 and then sprinklers kind of in the 20 to 30 range. And so if we again, break this down numerically, one PSI loss in drip tape could be eight to 10% of your nominal flow rate. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas that same amount, that one PSI might be 5% in a midter line or 3% in sprinklers. So getting it right in drip tape is super important because the tolerances are so much tighter. And with that, drip tape is almost exclusively non-PC due to cost and style of the products. Um, it's really hard to weld a PC emitter in a very, very thin wall product. Therefore, uh, there are some PC drip tape options, but it might be available in a 20 mil thick product instead of a six mil product. Well, if I'm growing corn and I'm only keeping it in the field for one year, I don't want to buy a 25 mil thick product. Economically, I can just never make that work. Um, so that lack of PC really requires strict design procedures to make sure that water is uniform and it's a, 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 a uniform across the field, a manifold and a block. 
Um, sizing drip tape is important, but selecting the mill thickness is important. So I just talked about kind of a, a use case example of, you know, a single use seasonal tape being five mil or six mil, and then a kind of a longer term tape being all the way up to, to 25 mil option. Most of what we use here in the Central Valley is going to be anywhere from a five mil to a 15 mil. There's very few use cases of this uh, really, really heavy stuff. Um, and there's some on the very, very thin side, but thinking about it going into corn, cotton, tomatoes, um, celery, lettuce, uh, you name it, all these field crops, they're only in the ground for sometimes 88 days, sometimes, you know, just two thirds of the year. Whereas if I go and I put a hose out in an orchard, it's going to be there for 20 years. Um, it, it, it needs some flexibility and it can't be super thick because the thicker the product, the more expensive it is. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Uh, uh, because like you said, on the, on the high side, it's not even a half inch. Exactly. And so it's, it's very important to, to get this right. And I really think about the mill thickness, not just on the durability of the product, but also how you can maintain it. You know that I've done a number of these uh, series on, on maintenance because it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, but so if you kind of work through this if-then statement with me that I kind of made here, um, if you're going to have a, a longer lateral run, you need to have a larger diameter size. The tubing or tape has to be larger. Well, now you have a longer lateral run. You're going to have a larger pressure requirement to flush to make sure that water is coming out the end at proper velocity. So we have a larger run. We have a bigger tube, but now we need to have more pressure in order to evacuate all the debris at the minimum velocity. That larger PSI requirement means that the product has to be thicker in order to handle it so it doesn't burst. So one good deed does not go unpunished in this case. If you look at this picture on the left-hand side, that is uh, uh, one of our flush valves flushing a drip tape field. I can tell you that that is not flushing at the minimum velocity. We like to see one and a half to two feet per second velocity, um, which in the cases that I'll show you here in a moment, require anywhere from like 15 to 30 pounds of pressure. This is flushing at like six. And so when a grower says, yeah, I flushed my field last week. Well, that's what you end up getting is, is chocolate milk out of the end because it just didn't do anything to remove that debris. And I've gone through that in some other presentations, um, but I do see a lot of systems that don't account for that uh, flushing requirement. And quite frankly, don't even have the pressure and flow capable of, of, providing an adequate flush. And that, again, can kind of go back into some of my other presentations. So um, I showed the length of run calculator earlier. This is kind of the full screen that you would see on our, on our website. And down at the bottom, there's a flushing tab. So you can see I selected 1.5 feet per second velocity. We only give you two options, which is 1.5 and 2, because <laughs> those are kind of uh, industry standards. Um, but I'm using a cascade, uh, 7 eighths tape, uh, diameter 14 inch emitter spacing with a 0.17 gallon an hour. I'm running at that kind of quarter mile we talked about at 1280 feet. And you can see that, you know, normal operating, I lose about four pounds of pressure. It's 93% uniform, um, tells me my average flow rates, gives me a lot of information, but tells me, yep, you're, you're pretty much good to go. But if I go and I plug in 1.5 feet per second on this, I need almost 17 pounds of pressure at the end of the line in order to, uh, or excuse me, at the beginning of the line in order to get my correct velocity at the end. So you sit there and you go, well, why is that important? If I change it to two feet per second velocity, 
it's now 28 and a half pounds of pressure in order to adequately flush that line. So if I have excessive amounts of debris and I need that extra velocity to, to move it, I need the product to be able to handle 28 and a half pounds of pressure. Here is a screenshot again out of our catalog. All of this stuff is publicly available. And you look at, we were talking about a seven eighths inch tape earlier. You can see over here, max operating pressure, but also max flushing pressure. Well, I talked about 28 and a half pounds. Well, 13 mil is actually gonna be the product that I would need to specify in this case. If I wanted to use a seven eight six mil product, I could probably use it just fine. I just may not be able to flush at that higher rate, which may or may not be an issue. I talked about six mil only being in the ground for 88 to you know uh, days to a few months. So maybe it's something where if it degrades um, at a slow rate and I just flush it kind of at the minimum and I get by, I'm pulling it out anyways. But if I go and I bury something in the ground for three, four, five years, I need to make sure that it's a thicker product, not just for that durability, but for the ability to be able to say, wow, Richard, we got into some bad water and I really need to get this debris out. And I know that my product can handle that without bursting. Um, so that those are the considerations. And where you where I see the mistake get made often is growers might get into that 10 mil uh, product where they say, well, it's two to three year product. I'm just going to go 10 mil. Well, you might actually want to consider just jumping up to 13. It's going to be a stronger product when you go to install it. It's going to be a stronger product when you go to remove it. But also you can guarantee that you're going to be able to flush it at the right velocity. That's a lot of great information there, Corey. Thank you. So uh, we have an, another uh, viewer and he's asking um, about uh, drip tape and emitter line. Um, and your one, the, the chocolate milk uh, uh, picture looked like this was buried. Uh, can you go subsurface with any of these products? Absolutely. So um, if I back up to um, the Amnon and Top Trip, uh, those come in anti-siphon standard. So it, it has anti-siphon, anti-suckback technology built into it. Uh, drip tape is almost exclusively underground. There are some, some uh, instances where we do kind of surface drip uh, type, thinner mill, seasonal applications, but almost all of the drip tape that we do sell actually does get buried anywhere from three inches to uh, 14 inches underground. And what's really important about that is uh, just make sure you have the right uh, air vent size, the right air vent placement. I think that was one of the first webinars I did a couple years ago. So please refer back to that one um, because the, the issue can be is that you can actually pull material back into the emitter line uh, if you don't have the appropriate air and vacuum relief. I can tell you that in that example with it being buried, that was not it. That was not the issue. That is not why there was chocolate milk in it. Um, that that all came from uh, very poor water quality, perhaps undersized filtration, but more importantly, um, improper flushing procedures. And procedures are uh, duration and timing and velocity. Right? If you if you can kind of go through how often do I need to flush? How hard do I need to flush that system? And how long do I do that for? If you get that right, you won't have those examples that I just showed. Yeah. So, and yeah, the air vents, uh, one of our most popular uh, trainings, uh, certainly um, maybe surprising to some that that was so popular, but, uh, but the, the right vent and the right placement is key. And you did a really good job getting those points across. 
No, I appreciate that. And uh, I kind of wrap it up as I do in most of my um, uh, talks and, and trying to do a summary is, um, you know, larger tubing can allow for longer lateral runs, potentially decreasing overall infrastructure costs. Uh, PC emission devices can be used to decrease the tubing size, like we talked about, which can save capital investment on the front end. Uh, Jane Amnon and Top Trip are pressure compensating and have that large PSI operating range I talked about earlier, allowing for maximum capital cost savings. And then drip tape is most sensitive to PSI changes due to low operating pressure conditions compared to those emitter line uh, and sprinkler examples that I've shown. So um, there's a lot of flexibility in the products we offer. A very robust catalog offering, but again, we have uh, really qualified and experienced people on our staff to help you, and then uh, a number of our distributors obviously have those, those same people as well, so uh, there's help out there. Just ask for it. Ask the right questions. Uh, obviously, if you came here, I think you're in the right place, so um, that's that's my summary. Yeah. Wow, Corey, uh, thank you so much. What a great job you did, right, uh, helping us all understand the differences in these products, and more importantly, showing us some resources to help us learn what the right product is for our application. And then more importantly, offering up uh, your services to uh, help, help people understand that they, uh, uh, they can call you, they can reach out to you whenever they want, and, and you're more than happy to help. Absolutely. Try and, try and be the easiest guy to find. So yeah. as you talked about, I'm on social media, I'm on all these different platforms. So we're, we're always happy to help. Yeah, so great. Well, thank you, Corey. Uh, great job. Really appreciate it. Uh, I want to say thank you to all the viewers. Really appreciate you taking some of your time during your busy day to educate yourselves about uh, water conservation and, uh, and proper irrigation, efficient irrigation. Remember, you can see all our trainings at janesusa.com forward slash trainings. Uh, we've got about uh, almost 300 of them in there now over the past uh, three years. Uh, really good quality information, uh, as well as wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You know, we extract all the audio out of these, put them on podcasts so that you can listen while you're working. And it's always uh, very exciting to me to think that people are educating themselves while they're working. And what a great combination. So again, thanks to all of you. Thank you, Corey. And uh, We'll see everybody back here next week on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to get your trees in shape for uh, springtime. So it should be, uh, should be a good one. All right. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, everyone.